0: You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. With the introduction of the transfer balance cap, it's become
1: important for some high-balance clients to implement balance equalisation strategies to maximise the amount that a couple can transfer into the tax-free retirement phase. However, are there other reasons for clients with smaller balances to also implement balance equalisation strategies? And if so, when and how should this be done? I'm your host, Craig Day, Head of the First Tech Team, and here to discuss this question with me is Julie Fox, Senior Technical Services Manager. G'day, Julie. Hey, Craig. Okay, Julie, one of the main reasons, you know, we traditionally think about equalisation or equalising balances is the transfer balance cap. Now, I think most advisors are pretty familiar with the cap by now, but can you just give us a quick summary of why we might want to equalise balances between a couple?
2: Sure. Um, as we know, the transfer balance cap came into play on the 1st of July 2017 and it operates to restrict the amounts that can be transferred to the tax-free retirement phase on retirement. So the general transfer balance cap was originally set at $1.6 million, uh, but it was more recently increased to $1.7 million on the 1st of July 2021. Now, the big reason equalisation is important for some clients is the transfer balance cap applies at an individual level, meaning if we have a couple where most of the super is in one spouse's name, unless we equalise balances, we could end up with the one spouse not being able to transfer 100% of the benefits to retirement phase due to their transfer balance cap, while the other spouse with a lower balance has plenty of spare cap available.
1: Okay, so the most obvious way advisors are going to address this these days is just via a traditional cash out and recontribution strategy once the client has turned 60 and they're retired. So they have both access and I suppose it's it's all tax free. Um, so, uh, give me an example, we just simply withdraw $330,000 tax free and recontribute that amount to the spouse's account as a non concessional contribution, thereby, you know either equalising balances or, you know, reducing the disparity between those two balances.
2: Yeah, and creating more tax-free as well. That's right. Um, yeah. However, depending on the figures involved and the couple's ages and their work status, they previously they might not have been able to equalise balances to the extent required due to the work test applying from age 67. In those types of situations, clients potentially needed to consider longer-term strategies to try and equalise the balances in the lead up to retirement such as via a uh, transition to retirement income stream or um, and recontributing the pension payments back into a spouse's account, or maybe via spouse contribution splitting strategies.
1: Okay, but obviously from 1 July this year, being 2022, the work test has been removed, right? So giving people a lot more time, so all the way potentially up to age 75 and that lovely 20 28 days after the end of the month they turn 75 to to implement these recontribution strategies. So just wondering do, do you think that makes these longer term strategies you know redundant now we don't really need to bother with them because we can just do this at the end when they get to retirement.
2: Well from a transfer balance cap perspective that's probably a fair statement if we can fix it up with a simple uh, cash out and recontribution strategy at retirement then sure let's just do do it then however implementing a longer term strategy can still provide transfer balance cap benefits when a client reaches retirement if they need to undertake multiple cash out and recontributions over a number of years due to the NCC cap limiting the amount that can be recontributed So, for example, if one member of a couple had accumulated more than $330,000 over the transfer balance cap, they'd Mm -hmm. need to cash out and recontribute over a number of years due to to the cap, which extends the time benefits would need to be retained in the taxed accumulation phase. Whereas if if we implemented a recontribution strategy involving TTR or spouse contribution splitting in the lead up to retirement we could potentially avoid having any excess amounts or at least reduce the excess to less than 330,000 at retirement, meaning the excess could then be cleaned up all in one year when they retired.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. So instead of, you know, having to do a recontribution strategy over three or four years, which means we're leaving potentially a significant sum in the accumulation phase by doing it ahead of time. Once we get to retirement, we've only got you know, let's say 330 left there that we need to deal with, and we can just deal with that right at retirement. So, yeah, good point. Now, you mentioned a re contribution strategy involving a TTR, and that this is something that we've seen a lot of advisors use really effectively. Like, a lot of people think about TTR as that kind of salary sacrifice, turbocharged kind of strategy leading into retirement, but We've also seen advisors really effectively use this for a, a transfer balance cap purpose where we've got one client that's, you know, just hit 60 and they've got a very large balance already and they're projected to be well and truly over their transfer balance cap by the time they get to retirement. And what we can do there potentially is think about commencing a TTR from age 60. So all the pension payments are going to be tax-free. And the amount that we take to start the TTR will Will vary, but, you know, in a lot of circumstances, it could be up to 100% of the members' benefits. And when we simply draw down the full 10% and we take those payments and we just re-contribute them back into the spouse's account as a non-concessional contribution, obviously depending on the level of pension payments and the non-concessional caps, et cetera. So um, in that situation, you know, if you've got a client that's still got four to five years to go to retirement and they've just turned 60 and they're likely to have one of these transfer balance cap problems. Then, you know, doing that via a um, a TTR strategy in the lead up to retirement could really help equalise that those balances, get rid of any excess, or actually potentially just reduce that excess down to that 330 amount. So we can we can just address that right at retirement. So a very viable strategy to consider. Now, are there any other reasons we might want to equalize balances other than just transfer balance caps?
2: Um, there certainly is, um, especially for the, the lower balance clients. Um, there's several super measures that are potentially restricted by a total super balance, but the main ones include carry forward concessional contributions and the non-concessional contribution cap and bring forward rules. Um, so equalization strategies could assist with these as well.
1: Okay, so let's look at carry forward concessional contributions first. So, obviously, you have to have a total bounce of less than $500,000 on the previous 30 June to be able to use
2: these rules. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. If you haven't maximised your concessional contributions uh, since 1st of July 2018, when this all came into place, then you'll have some concessional contributions cap space that you can potentially carry forward for up to five years to increase your basic concessional contributions cap of 27500 So, but to be eligible to use those accrued unused amounts, your total super balance has to be less than 500000 on the 30th of June, immediately before the financial year of your contribution. So you can see that for a couple who really want to maximise concessional contributions, if they both have a total super balance of less than 500000 then they can both use any accrued carry forward amounts.
1: I suppose the, the really... Important thing, thing to think about that is this obviously extends, you know, the the target market for clients that, you know, we've talked about the 1.7 million transfer balance cap, but that's not so many of our clients. But all of a sudden, if you've got clients wanting to maximize their options under this carry-forward concessional contribution role, it just simply increases the pool of, of clients that we're potentially thinking about this strategy probably quite significantly.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's much and it's much easier to keep those balances under five hundred thousand if you're engaging in longer term equalisation strategies. Um, right. Because if you had a spouse with, you know, say even just five hundred and twenty thousand in super, and the other spouse has, you know, maybe two hundred thousand in super, it's difficult to suddenly shift twenty thousand dollars to the spouse's super all at once if you haven't yet reached preservation age or some kind of condition of release where you've got access to the benefits. Um, However, if if you're under preservation age and you've been equalising over the long term through spouse contribution splitting, you can avoid one spouse exceeding the cap in the first place.
1: Okay, so what about non-concessional caps? You talked about those as well.
2: Yeah, um, so for non-concessional contributions, we need to remember that if our total super balance at the end of the previous financial year is equal to or greater than the general transfer balance cap, then our non-concessional contribution cap for the current year is nil. Um, and also the amount of NCC we can make under the bring forward rules will also be impacted by total super balance. So at the prior 30th of June, it uh, if your total super balance is 1.48 million or greater, um, up to 1.7 million, then then your NCC cap um, and the bring forward rule is going to be limited. Um, so, utilising equalisation strategies on the way through could maximise the client's ability to make large NCCs in the lead up to retirement, maybe from the sale proceeds of non super non-super assets. Mm-hmm.
1: Something like an investment property or something? Yeah. Okay. Um, Now, we mentioned spouse contribution splitting as one way to equalise balances. For advisors that haven't used these rules before, are there any tricks or traps they need to watch out for?
2: Always, always tricks and traps. Um, Under the spouse contribution splitting rules, a member can generally split their concessional contributions from the previous year across to their spouse. However, the split is limited to the less of 85% of the concessional contributions made or the contributing spouse's concessional contributions cap for the year. So assuming the member um, didn't have any carry forward contributions, they could split up to 23,375 of concessional contribution to their spouse's super after each financial year. That would be the maximum.
1: Okay, and so that's for taxed funds, of course, and that general maximum you just mentioned there. What was it, twenty twenty three, three seven five? So that's just eighty five percent of the general concessional contribution cap of twenty seven and a half thousand dollars. Yeah. Now, what about if they did have amounts of unused concessional cap that they could carry forward from prior years? So, if I give you an example, let's just say they had an effective cap of, let's say, $40,000 due to the carry forward rules. How how does that work?
2: Okay. Because the carry forward rules actually increase a member's concessional cap, they'll be able to split 85% of that higher cap. So, using your example, they could split 85% of the 40000 or $34,000. But I guess you also have to check with the particular fund that you're splitting with because um, different funds may apply different business rules to the amount that you can split.
1: Yeah, and we have seen that before. Um, okay, so couple of issues that I can kind of think of here in terms of t- trips and traps is, um, so remember here that we're always splitting um, an amount of contributions in the year after those contributions were made. So if we had someone that was just over the $500,000 threshold on 30 June, remember, we're splitting in the next financial year. So that's not allow- going to allow us to reduce our um total superannuation balance effective 30 June, and therefore all of a sudden become available or eligible to to bring forward my my contributions in future years or cap amounts from future years. So just remember that. So this is something we need to do over the longer term. Um, Also, the amount the member splits to their spouse is still going to count against their cap. So just because I'm splitting that off to, to my spouse doesn't mean that it doesn't count against my concessional contribution cap. The good thing there, I suppose, is it doesn't count towards my spouse's contribution cap. Um, and also the receiving spouse has to be under age 65 to receive this, but although I think there's some also some additional rules there after you've reached preservation age, isn't yeah, there? Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. If they're between preservation age and 65, you also have to make sure that the receiving spouse hasn't met a condition of release.
1: Right. So this is something to do well and truly before we get to retirement. All right. So we've talked about cash out and recontribution strategies, also including transition to retirement income streams, and we've talked about spouse contribution splitting. Is there anything else we can do to equalise balances?
2: Um, well, you can just make sure that any discretionary contributions you're going to make um, go to the most appropriate account, whether that's through non-concessional contributions, personal deductible contributions to your own account, or say eligible spouse contributions.
1: Okay, so lots of reasons for equalising balances here where the client wants to maintain access to the carry-forward concessional contribution roles or where they've got large balances and therefore the transfer balance cap or ability to make non-concessional contributions is an issue we need to think about. However, this you know this has also made me think that, well, if I've got a client that isn't in either of those camps. I Let's just say they're already well and truly over $500,000, so carry-forward concessionals is no longer an option, but they're nowhere near the thresholds where I start have to worrying about non-concessional contributions or the transfer balance cap. So thinking, is there even any point for these kinds of clients to implement re-contribution strategies anymore? And I suppose the thing that I kind of came back to is, well, you know, spouse contribution splitting or equalisation strategies, equalization strategies still does provide us with a, a hedge against legislative change in future, right? Because every time that a government goes and changes the rules, it seems that there's some sort of new cap or threshold that we need to worry about. And it's all measured at an individual level. So if we go and have just a general policy of, of equalising balances where possible via, you know, a longer term spouse contribution equalisation strategy where we see a big difference between the, the spouses, um, then potentially that may assist us to deal with measures coming through in the future that we can't even foresee it at the moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's so true that there's just always so much legislative change um, coming up when it comes to super. Um, but not only are there unforeseen legislative changes, um, just life events. There may be life events that arise that really pay off having a longer term equalisation strategy in place.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I can imagine. So, you know, let's say they get an inheritance and by implementing a recontribution strategy, you know, they, they're both able to make large non-concessional contributions rather than just one of them that's that's always an important thing things like death benefits big capital gains on investment property in the future so equalizing balances and making sure that uh, we've got full access to those carry forward contribution rules which potentially allows us to make a really large personal deductible contribution all of this sort of stuff is is really important and equalizing balances along the way you don't know what's going to happen in the future you're going to don't know what's What events are going to occur or what opportunities are going to arise so at least maximizing for for all clients potentially um, maximizes their options in the event of any of these life events occurring are there any other things we we need to think about before we finish off
2: I think so. Um, Like anything, we've got to look at the individual objectives of the client and sometimes uh, uneven super balances might be more beneficial for the particular clients. Um, But you could still use the same strategies we've talked about to manage those balances and shifting um, funds from one to the other. Uh, For example, if you've got a lower income couple with a large age difference, it may be more beneficial for the couples with the couple um, to have most of it sit in the younger spouse's account, since super isn't assessed for Centrelink until age pension age or until you commence an income stream, so so for some couples, um, you know, equalisation strategies aren't actually going to create uh, the benefits that they they need.
1: Wow, that's yeah, that's a really good point. You know, quite often we we're thinking about you know shifting benefits. Um, away based on balance or, you know, equalising based on balance. But in this case, we we actually want to increase the level of disparity to give us that bigger age pension outcome. Um, But also we're thinking about age there as well, aren't we? We're, We're shifting away from the older spouse to the younger spouse to protect those, those superannuation assets from the age pension means test for a longer period, so resulting in increased age pension entitlement. So, yeah, yeah, really great point. Now, I, I think that pretty much sums it up,
2: Julie. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Greg.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Advantius Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.